High Performance Podcast, where we share with you the stories, tips, tricks, and strategies of motocross and off-road racers, health and fitness experts, and everyone in between who has an inspiring story to share. Episode three of the podcast this week, we've got Stephen Tuff on board. I've known Tuffy for a lot of years. I can remember his face from back in the day when I was 15 racing juniors in the very first Vic Off-Roads cross-countries back then, they were, and they started having a juniors class when I started racing off-roads. I remember Tuffy's face. He's been around on the scene for a long time. Anyone who's raced probably any off-roads nationally or especially in Victoria will probably know Tuffy and you will most probably know that he's a champion of a bloke. He's he's a great guy, Tuffy. He's got a great sense of humour. He's got a great view on a lot of things and a lot of great insight. So we touch on all of that in this podcast. He when I thought when I think of Tuffy, the reason why I wanted to have him on the podcast, he's someone that I think has turned his passion into his career. So he was, he still is a journalist for ADB, ADB Motorcycles. He ran his own magazine with Trail Rider. He's done lots of awesome, awesome stuff in his career. He's now working for Sherco Motorcycles Australia as their brand manager, and he's leading a really big push that they are putting on at the moment to build their brand which they're doing a really great job of, I must say. They're popping up everywhere. So we touch on a lot of stuff in this podcast. We go on a few different tangents. We mostly cover Tuffy's story and how he came to be doing what he's doing as a journalist with ADB initially and then going on through his career to Sherco Australia now and what he's actually doing. We also touch on some other cool stuff towards the end, like being a dad. It's something that Tuffy and I share um, similar experiences and stories in, I guess, um, being a dad. So we, t- we talk about some really cool stuff there and also get a bit of an insight from Tuffy about the top athletes' mindset and, and things like that and their work ethic. He's worked with a lot of the top riders in Australia, so he's got a really cool insight there too. So I'm really looking forward to actually getting Tuffy back on the podcast so we can delve a little bit deeper in into a couple of those topics that we touch on towards the end because I really like the way Tuffy thinks. He's got a really cool view on things and like I say, he's got a really cool insight into a lot of stuff too. So a lot of cool content in here. We tend to ramble on in a couple of bits and get up, go off on some tangents, but it's it's a really cool podcast. He's got a really cool story to share, Tuffy. So give it a listen. If you love it, give it a share. That would absolutely mean the world to me. Until next time, give it 100%. We'll see you on the next podcast. Today on the podcast, we've got Stephen Tuff. He's the brand manager for Sherco Motorcycles Australia. Um, he's a bit of an icon in the off-road scene, I suppose you'd say. He's been a bit of an icon to me anyway. I've known him for a lot of years in the racing scene. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Tuffy. Yeah. Thank you, mate. I think you're being very generous or maybe just <laughs> with the word icon, but um, thanks, mate. It's nice to hear. <laughs> um, 
Mate, for the listeners who don't know you, give us a little bit of a, I guess, a self-bio of Stephen Tuff up until yeah. now, what you're up to. Mate, um, it's a, I, I guess it's probably the path less travelled. Um, just as a kid, I, I always had this love of dirt bikes. I don't, I don't know why, but I, I can pinpoint the exact moments um, as a kid. I've, I've just loved dirt bikes. I don't come from a dirt biking family. Um, so that's something that's just somehow was ingrained in my DNA somewhere. But um, I, I, uh, I wanted a mini bike as a kid and I eventually got one, but my parents weren't into the sport. So I had to self-fund it, I guess. And I left school after year 10, got a job as an apprentice butcher to make some money. And then that was my ticket to go and ride dirt bikes. And um, I, I, I did that as best I could, learning along the way from the very grassroots level. Like I knew nothing. And, um, and, and that led me to writing articles for the local newspaper about racing because I, I didn't think it was fair that, that football and cricket got all the sports <laughs> pages. And, um, and, and it was, it was for selfish reasons, I guess I wanted to try and plug the few sponsors that I had to assist my racing and, um, through a series of events, I ended up at Australasian Dirt Bike Magazine and uh, that was in 1998 and that catapulted a career in in moto journalism. Yeah, so, awesome, man. Yeah. So how old were you when you got your first bike then? Uh, I was 10. It was it was a, a red twin shop Suzuki DS80. Yeah, um, nice. It was a real dunger. Uh, it was $400 <laughs> and I loved that thing and I just rode it to death. Yeah. Yeah, I just couldn't get enough of it. My, my, I grew up on a, a small cattle property in South Gippsland and I just rode that thing every opportunity I had. And, um, yeah, I, I, I just loved it and loved it and, and lived for, for dirt bike magazines. That was the only thing that I would read. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, I still I'd, I'd ride every day now if I could. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. So you didn't. What sort of exposure did you have from to bikes? You think that, or was it just or just something that just come from inside that you just wanted to ride? Yeah, I, I don't remember being exposed to them as a kid, other than I think Dad was at buying a chainsaw or something for his chainsaw, and there was a mini bike there, and I remember crawling all over the thing and looking at the front wheel and <laughs> and just thinking, I I just want to ride this thing. Like I, obviously, I was riding bicycles as a little kid and 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 I loved it and then when the BMX craze came out and you know the, the, the 80s I had a BMX and built my own little BMX track but for some reason I just I just had I just really wanted to ride a dirt bike I, I don't know why I don't know why I found them attractive I just thought they were the coolest thing ever and and when I did finally learn to ride one um, it was a kid down that lived down our dirt road. He had a Yamaha GT80, and I just thought it was the ultimate feeling. It was, it was the ultimate feeling of freedom and and power. And I just wanted to do it. I just thought it was cool. And every time I saw a kid on a dirt bike on TV, which was few and far between, um, I just thought it was incredible. And that's all I wanted to do. It was, I just thought that there's no better feeling, and I still think that there's no better feeling than riding a dirt bike. Yeah, it's a pretty special thing. Where did you um? So where did you get first get into racing? Was that locally at sort of yeah. home track? Well, yeah, I, I knew of a motocross track within the region, which happened to be Outram out near Currumbara, but I'd never yeah. seen it. I'd never 
I'd never been to a motocross and I'd never even been to the track, but I knew of this place called Outram and, you know, that's where all, that was, that was the world to me. That could have been the, the, the world championship of motocross or the motocross, the nations. I just knew I had to get there one day. And um, when I went to high school, I had to go to a, like a, a big regional, bigger regional school than the little primary school I went to. And there was a kid on my bus called Grant Bennett. He was from Fish Creek and, we got talking and he raced motocross. So I just thought, wow, all right, I'm going to learn more about this from this guy. And um, yeah, I, I learned that he raced all around Gippsland and, and uh, yeah, you had to be a club member and you had to get a license and do all these things. And he, he actually brought me a copy of um, license forms on the bus. I took them yeah. home to my parents. I got my parents to sign them without them knowing what they were because they would never have agreed to it. And I sent away to <laughs> Motorcycling Australia and got my, my junior racing licence and um, I was on my way after that. So, yeah, yeah Grant Bennett from Fish Creek, he, he, he assisted me a lot. Uh, I, was, I was 15. First mentor. Yeah, yeah, I was 15 <laughs> by the time we made this happen. So it was a long progression. My, my parents weren't into it. They're still not. So I, yeah. I sort of had to rely on other kids and their parents to, to, to guide me because without any help, you know, you, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, it's a lot to figure out for yourself. Yeah, for sure. But, um, mate, I, I haven't looked back. I, I still remember my first race was at One Thaggy. It was the Bill Brown Memorial, it was called, and it was held the day after the Melbourne Supercross Masters. And I had Anthony Gobert showed up in my class and I'd never been on a proper motocross track before practice was three laps and he lapped me. Um, <laughs> I was, on, I was on a, I was on an old Honda CR 125 that I'd saved up for. And I just could not believe the minefield that I'd walked into. I remember getting arm pump. I didn't know what arm pump was. I'd never heard of it, but man, did I experience it that day? <laughs> <laughs> it was an incredible learning curve, but I, I knew I wanted to do more of it. And um, I was hooked from that moment on. I still remember Craig Anderson was there on a YZ80. I think that was still 80s back then, not even 85s. And I just couldn't believe the speed of this kid. Yeah. Um, it was definitely fast company to be in from a first event. but Absolutely. It was a great experience. Yeah, totally. Um, so where did the, I guess the, you said you, you did a bit of stuff for the local paper, which is pretty cool. Props for that. Yeah, my sister worked there as a typesetter. And yep. um, so I went into the newspaper and it said, oh, you know, I want to do a story on some dirt bike events. We've got all these fantastic dirt bike riders in this region and they deserve some credit. So they loaned me a camera and said, here you go. So I'd go to the races and by this stage, I'd discovered the Victorian Off-Road Championship, which was enduro and cross country. And um, I'd sort of gravitated towards that more than motocross by this stage. So I'd I'd go to the events, take the photos, I'd handwrite my notes and I'd, I, on, I was doing my apprenticeship in the same town. So Monday morning I'd return the camera, put the notes under their front door as I was going to work and um, they, they'd run the story in the local paper and I thought it was great. And I, I was probably more satisfied to see some recognition for the good riders within our state and our region rather than push my own barrow because we had guys like David Fleming who had represented Australia at the International Six Day, won mm. multiple state titles, won Australian four-day Enduros and, you know, uh, for People example, never, 
Yeah, you go to the local hotel and, and every young football that had ever been drafted into the AFL had their photo above the bar. Yeah, yeah. And David Fleming to them was a nobody. And I yeah. thought, are you kidding me? This guy's a legend. So it was good to, <laughs> it was good to give recognition to guys like that. And, and inadvertently, it had started my career in motorcycle journalism. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's an awesome story. Because, like, as a kid growing up in a country town, I remember, like, how much, just looking back, like, it's changed. You would agree, I'm sure, how much it's changed. Like, back then, I was, I remember being the only kid at school that had a dirt bike in, in primary school. And, and it was just footy and cricket. And now it's, like, it's changed a lot. Like, heaps of kids got dirt bikes these days. But, yeah, but it's I- definitely not mainstream, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, I remember year eight, we had to do a project for, for physical education class and I chose motocross and all the other kids thought I was an idiot yeah. because they had no comprehension of what the sport of motocross was. And it was the age old thing was, why is it so hard? Why is it a sport? You just sit down on them, don't you? <laughs> and, and it did my head in because I knew how difficult it was to do motocross well, but no one else did because they were only about football, netball, cricket, um, and, and, and those kind of sports. So to them, off-road motorcycling wasn't a sport, but to me it, it was more than a sport. It was my life. So I, I found that incredibly frustrating. But, um, mm. yeah, here we are all these years later and the sport's de- definitely recognised as a legitimate sport. But um, back then as a kid in a country town in Victoria, it was if you don't play football, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, it's like you're an outcast, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, too right. And well, people would start a conversation. Who do you play for? And yeah. then they say, "Oh, I don't." And they go, "Well, why not?" Because I'll race dirt bikes. They go, "Oh," <laughs> and that'd be it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Now it's now it's regarded as something cool, which is great. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. You're a pioneer for the journalists. <laughs> In a small country town, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Plenty of people have walked my path before and done it a lot better. <laughs> So, where I, I noticed one of the posts you put up, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've got like a million amazing freaking stories about the experiences you, you've had. I saw one of the posts you put up the other day about um, your trip to Glen Helen yeah, back in the well, day. And that mate, sort that, of kicked off your career a bit. Yeah, that's right. Tell us a little that, bit about that. Well, Australasian Dirt Bike it was... It was the Bible for any dirt bike fan. It was a magazine that had come out every month and yeah. I used to subscribe to it and I'd read it, you know, cover to cover, cover, to cover. every month because it was the only thing I had. And in 1998, they ran what they called a Supercross Super Tour. So it was just a, it was a, a holiday essentially that they were hosting. They took 10 people from Australia. So you'd pay for a package deal. You fly it over. We went to the final round of the Supercross Championship in Las Vegas. And then the following weekend, we went to the first round of the Outdoor Nationals at Glen Helen. So my mate and I said, yeah, we're in on this. I rang up, I booked the tickets, and I just thought, wow, we're, we're going to America. <laughs> <laughs> so we went on this amazing trip. It was, it was hosted by the editor at the time, Andrew Club, and the... I guess he was the deputy editor, but he was also the ad sales manager, Tom Foster, who were who both icons in, in Australian uh, dirt bike publishing now. And 
we got to cruise around to these amazing races and we went to places like pro circuit and bill's pipes and we went to the fox headquarters and we did all this stuff you only dream of back then and at, at the same time i was getting really interested in travel i wanted to travel the world and i'd been to a few travel information nights and this guy said to me once the biggest tip i can give you is to keep a travel diary and i thought well why not i'll give it a shot so Every day I'd write down notes of what we did on this Supercross Super Tour. And it was the second last day of the tour. I'll never forget it. We're in a minivan. Clubby was driving and somehow I was in the front passenger seat reading a map to navigate. That, that's how long ago this was. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other boys said, can I get the race results out of your diary? I said, yep, it's in the back. And he started to read the contents of my diary and he was laughing and everyone said, what is it? And he said, it's Tuffy's diary. And they go, read it out. And I go, no, don't read it out. But I was in the front. He was in the back. So he <laughs> read it out and everyone laughed at some of the stupid things I'd written down. And Clubby said, can I buy that story off you? I want to run it as the feature for this trip. So, of course, I said yes. And and he, he printed it. Um, he paid me a limited edition Jeremy McGrath championship winning t-shirt that fox had made they'd only printed 20 of these shirts so i thought that was the most amazing thing in the world <laughs> and he gave me i think it was an adb t-shirt as well so that's what i got paid for that story <laughs> but a few months later um at that time uh shane watts the, the legendary enduro racer he was off racing in europe and he had a monthly column in adb called what's happening south of the border yep. and that was everything reported on victoria but with what's he in Europe, it wasn't really working out. So I, I got offered his monthly column and, and he kept his to report on things around the world. So suddenly I've inherited a, a, a monthly column in the biggest magazine in the country. Um, a few months later, that evolved into a full-time position at ADB up in Sydney. And uh, I started up there at the beginning of 1999 as the assistant editor, um, having never owned a camera or a computer. <laughs> Another steep learning curve to come. Oh, was it ever? In so many ways. I'd never even moved out of home. I was this super green country kid from South Gippsland that drove an old Holden WB Ute. And <laughs> I, I literally packed up everything I owned. It was a bag of clothes, my swag, an esky and a fold-up chair that my mum had given me for my birthday. And I, I drove to Sydney to start a new life. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That would have been a massive change. Massive change, massive change. I still remember the day where Clubby said, this is your desk and that's your computer. And I just looked at him with this blank look on my face. And he said, right, grab a note, uh, grab a notepad and a pen. And I, I was able to turn it on because I know what the on button is, but I didn't know how to open a file or create anything. Yeah. Uh, and he said, have you got a camera? I said, nah. And he said, well, you better go and find one. And, um, and, and that's how it started. That's honestly how, how it started. He was so patient with me and, and um, a position with ADB is, I guess it's like the best resume you can have for a dirt bike journo. And, and um, yeah, he gave him a start. And we, we, we're still in touch today. He, he, was, he was an awesome boss. Yeah, so he taught you, taught you everything you know in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways he did, mate. In, in a lot of ways he did. And, and not just about dirt bike journalism but work in general um his catch cry was just get it done yeah <laughs> just get it done <laughs> <laughs> make it happen yeah yeah and you do
So I know we were talking a bit off air before that you, you said you never really had any goals as such and it just sort of unfolded. But was that kind of perhaps maybe a dream for you or something like to be in the a journalist in the motorcycling industry or did it, it just literally just happen? It's the right, Mate, time, it just, right place, right happened. time. As far as my life was concerned, I, I was I was a butcher. I was qualified by that stage. So, you know, I was I was just making a, the standard wage, but it didn't matter what I did. That was just a job that gave me money so I could go and ride dirt bikes. That's all I cared about was riding dirt bikes. It was, yeah. it was just a job. So this opportunity came up and I thought, what, I have to move to Sydney? Well, I was... I was really scared and, and I was speaking to my auntie about it. I used to confide in her in a lot of things and she said, her words were, if you don't go, I'll kick your ass. <laughs> so off I went to Sydney with no expectations but full of optimism and I just thought, oh, well, I'll give it a crack and see where it leads. And, and so I just gave it a go. I had nothing to lose. Oh, absolutely, man. But, um, Great decision. Yeah, it was, mate. It was, but but, and it turned out to be something completely different that I never imagined. Because when I got there, ADB was still privately owned, so self-publishing, and and we had this amazing office, literally with dirt bikes hanging on on the walls. That it it was incredible. But yeah, um, you know, big business came knocking, and ADB was sold to a, a big publisher. Um, Clubby moved on as editor to travel the world. Um, and we moved into a high-rise building in Haymarket in the middle of Sydney, and I didn't see a dirt bike for months. And and I was too young and green and didn't understand how the corporate world works, and mm. I, I, I was so naive, and I, I wasn't cut out for what was to come, and I, I ended up really hating the job and, and not being happy with my life at all, so I bought a one-way ticket to London and disappeared for 12 months as an anonymous backpacker. Yeah, <laughs> saw yeah. the sights. Well, I did, mate, and, but that opened up a lot of doors as well. I couldn't stay away from dirt bikes and I ended yeah. up making my way down to France to watch the motor across the nations that year and caught up, caught up with some people that I'd met through dirt biking and, and uh, yeah, so much has changed. There. In, in 1997, I, I didn't race that year. I wanted to do a dirt bike tour up to Cape York and I went with Cape York Motorcycle Adventures with a few friends and we had this amazing ride and the sweep rider on that was a guy called Lee Palmer. He was from Inverell in New South Wales and we, we struck up a bit of a friendship and he ended up living in Austria working for KTM and he was a mechanic for one of their motocross to nations riders. So yeah, here right. I am in France, incredibly homesick, wanting to cheer on the Aussie team. And um, the, the riders weren't really interested in speaking to me. Perhaps they were focused on what they were doing. But um, Lee was in the pits working for this KTM rider and he saw me and then he disappeared into the KTM truck and then came back out with two Heineken stubbies and said, <laughs> let's sit down and have a beer. And it was the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Lee's an incredible character. He went on to become the 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 team, the manager of the KDM rally team and has worked with people like Cyril Dupre and Alfie Cox and you know, all the all the real rally legends and um Yeah. So yeah, awesome. it's funny funny the people you come across. Yeah, well that was gonna be one of the things I, I thought that you must have made some amazing friends and, and had some amazing experiences over that 
the course of your career so far? Oh, for sure. And I think I've been really lucky. Um, but yeah, some of the people I've met, uh, uh, my friends say, are, are impressed by it. But, you know, friends are friends. You, you either hit it off with some people or you don't. And it's not, yeah, that's it's right. not what they are. It's, it's, it's who they are. But yeah, Lee, Lee Palmer's definitely one because he was a guy that was always seeking a bit of adventure. And the things he's done, like he he's... He, um, I think you'd enjoy meeting him. He's travelled the world and, and, and developed bikes and, and competed in Dakar himself in the, in the auto division and worked with some incredible people, including um, Andy Caldercott. Um, you know, he, he, the best of the best. So yeah. he, he's, one, he's one guy that sticks out because we met years and years ago before any of us started on any of these really cool things and he, he's gone on to be... A, a real a real legend in that regard yeah. but yeah. um yeah it's nice to meet some people some some really stick out ricky carmichael i was lucky enough to meet him well it'll be 10 years ago now and i was so grateful for his time that i when we wrapped up the interview i shook his hand and i said oh it's a real pleasure to meet you mate and he goes nah it's a pleasure to meet you and i just couldn't believe that he'd bother to say that yeah 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 you know you put these people up on a pedestal but at the end of the day they're they're just people yeah yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he he's one. Um, yeah, he's he's one that really stood out. He he was cool. So, I guess that's probably I guess one of the reasons I I wanted to have you on the pod. Why I thought of you being on the podcast, man, was because I guess myself in the last few years I've had some massive changes in my life and my career. Sure. Um, because I decided to do something. I'm really passionate about yep so from the outside looking in like to me it looks like you're doing something you're super passionate about um obviously it's not without its struggles i'm sure but when it when you're doing something you love those that hard work the struggles are a lot more enjoyable so does it feel does it feel like work to you or yeah, it does, mate. It's definitely work because you need to work hard at it to be successful at it. Um, yeah, like anything, really. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe there's anything in life that just falls into your lap. And if it does, it's probably a bit hollow and a bit meaningless. So, yeah, I've got a cool job. I do. I love my job. I, I love dirt bikes and, and all the things that come with it. But, yeah, it's hard. There's, there's days where you really do have to work hard and some days where it's quite mundane and and, and um, you know, perhaps not all that exciting, but do I want to be back in a butcher shop making sausages <laughs> on a Monday afternoon? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good job too, but this one's cooler. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's still a job. And there's so many, there's so many facets around it, um, you know. Like even Sherco has a... Has a a good race team an off-road racing team and but there's days where i'm working on that team and i'm washing dirty air filters and you know no one likes to clean an air filter but i still do it (laughs) (laughs) but no mate it's great and my job's probably a bit unique on my career path has been quite unique but i've always been prepared to just just do it um i guess it comes back to what clubby said just get it done and i look at all the people that have come and gone in the industry and plenty don't come back um not many consistently stay in the industry and and are successful at it so i think yeah 
luck perhaps or is it just am I lucky that I've decided to stick at it? Yeah. Um, a job's a job. It's, it's never, there's never always awesome times. You're always got to put in the work, but I, I love what I get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So tell, yeah, tell us a little bit more about what you do, do for Sherco now as brand manager. Yeah, well, I've been with Sherco for four years now um, and my title is the brand manager. So uh, I guess I'm responsible for making the brand successful and Sherco has started from a really low base here in Australia because it's a relatively young brand. Um, so my job is to, I guess, uh, strengthen the dealer network. So we've got dealers in every state and territory of the country and we're trying to grow that. Um, I also have to oversee the race team, which includes, you know, recruiting riders and, and the day-to-day runnings of the team from ordering tyres to making sure we hit the right events and, um, drumming up the media, writing media releases. I, I work with the media as well for test rides, um, just to try and bring awareness to the brand and, and hosting ride days so people can experience the bike. It's a really varied job. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love it. I don't really get bored. Um, like today I'm just working on media and planning a, a media launch. Tomorrow I'm assembling and testing bikes. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a varied job, but um, I, I still work for ADB on a, a contributor basis. So every month or so you might see a story that I've put together, which I, I do that just because I love it. It's just a, it's a cool job. And um, being associated with a big magazine is great for networking and, and establishing yourself in the industry. So it's as much as I love it, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a good little ace card to have up your sleeve. Yeah, for sure. I'll tell you, you must be doing your job pretty well, man, because I'm seeing Sherco's pop up left, right and centre everywhere I go at the moment. Every second bloke I talk to is getting one. Well, the, the distributor <laughs> or the importer that I work for, they only had Sherco for a few months before I started with them and, and yeah. they were appointed the new distributor for Australia when Sherco said, okay, we, we want to have a big push and try and penetrate the market around the world. So yeah. it's such an exciting time. And and I look back and it's perhaps where KTM was, you know, in the in the mid to late 90s. Uh, they just yeah. started to gain a bit of momentum. And, they, you know, we often look at, at, at what they went through and we're in a similar position. And the great thing about Sherco is we're not selling a lie. The bikes are fantastic. And so it's easy to get excited about the brand. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, it, it makes it a hell of a lot easier because we, we actually we love the bikes. We all like to ride them. Um, it's And I guess that's what it comes down to. You've got to be passionate about what you're doing or people see through that. If it's just a job, you're only just going through the motions. It's, it's, like, it's like training, isn't it? You know, if, if, yeah. you, if you don't really want to do it, you're not really going to put in the effort and you, won't, you just won't get the results. You've got to love it. And, yeah, luckily I, I love what I do. Yeah, that's awesome, man. They might, yeah, like I say, they must be a good thing. All the guys I know that are that are riding them really love them. So, and and they seem to be reliable too. Like, yeah, they are, mate. Um, Sherco's an interesting brand. It's still family owned, based in, yep. in France, and and they are really passionate about what they do. And you know, they're astute business people. They know where they sit in the market. So, if you're going to be competitive, you've got to have 
a competitive product. That means you've got to be as good or better. Um, so, yeah, the, the bikes are great for sure. And, and it's funny being, I guess, they've probably turned the corner from being a boutique brand to becoming one of the main players. Um, and if we all do our job right, I expect expect it to be one of the, the mainstream brands within the next five years. Yeah, awesome. Well, it's, it's definitely heading that way. It's getting They're getting bigger and bigger, aren't they? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, world championship wins um, or, or, or championships like the one Matthew Phillips won in 2016 certainly helps. And then you've got this real um, surge of extreme enduro events that they have now. And mm. uh, Sherco rider Wade, Wade Young, he's, he's obviously super successful at that. And, you know, that's a real spectacle, that side of the sport. People love it. And so that's, that's bringing a lot of people to the brand, makes them aware of what it is and, and how good they are. So tell us a little bit about how the position with Sherco originally unfolded. My last stint in publishing, there's been two stints in it. Obviously, the early days with ADB, which lasted 18 months, and then I had a break when I travelled and then um, got back on my feet financially, went back to my trade, and then I took over uh, Trail Rider magazine. Through yeah, I remember that. Magazines. Yeah, so that was offered to me. I was contributing to Dirt Action at the time and Trail Rider came up. It was an annual or a one-off publication and then they did a couple of copies, one each year, and they wanted to make it quarterly. So I punched out four, four copies in one year and then it was taking off. So then it came to six issues a year and I did that for 10 years straight as a as a contractor so i was still based in victoria but the publisher was based in sydney and um i sort of did my own thing down here and that that was a great 10-year stint but um with the shifting sands of time and 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 big business they wanted to take the magazine in-house uh so my contract essentially ended with them and that that was four years ago and uh so i moved on from that and then a media release went out announcing that I was no longer part of that publication and the guys from Sherco rang and said, hey, would you come and work for us? So, you know, one door closes and another one opens and it's been an incredible education um, in business, really, working for Sherco. It's something I've really enjoyed and I've picked up a lot of new skills. So it's it's really cool to be able to, able to do that. But I, I, I owe that to my years um, editing magazines. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So was it was that like a little bit of a gamble even, do you think, going to that role with Sherco? Like obviously you had faith in their product. Yeah, but... it was, mate. But in it sounds crazy, but I got a little bit biked out with yep. Trail Rider. Um, you know, dirt bikes is my passion and I was even worried that I wouldn't love bikes anymore for a while there. And I, I just turned 40... Uh, went away to Fiji for my 40th birthday with my wife and a bunch of friends came with their families and we had this awesome time. So I I had a little bit of time to think about it. And then when the Sherco gig came up, it actually started out part-time because neither Sherco nor myself predicted how busy it would become so quickly. And I just thought, oh, you know what? I'll give this a go and see where where it takes me. And at the same time, the boys at ADB had heard that I was a free agent again. So they they got me back on board to contribute to ADB. So all these years later, I'm back where I started as a contributor. And Full then the circle. Sherco, yeah, yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> and then the Sherco thing just started to take off. And within a few months, I was full-time plus. And 
you know, like I said, that's four years ago now and it's just gone ballistic. Yeah. It's cool. It's a, it's a, it's a fun brand to be a part of because when you start from a low base, the only way is up, but it's gone up super quick. And um, I, I, I honestly can't see that changing anytime soon. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Have they got any plans to sort of, have, do they have a, like a big motocross range or are they mostly focusing on the off-road? Yeah, off-road. Well, a large part of Sherco business is trials. Yeah, so that's where they started. That, yeah, that's, that's their history really. So they've only been yeah. producing uh, enduro bikes for, I think it was 2005 was the first year that they came to Australia, but they started in 2004, I think it was. So still relatively young in enduro terms. So um, the range is still growing even. Like they added the, the, the 125 two-stroke last year. Um, for 2019, they've added a 500 four-stroke, which was a direct request from us. Um, Sherco France couldn't understand why we would want a bigger capacity because their number one seller over there is a 254 stroke. Yeah, yeah. They're quite low numbers here in Australia. Australia's horsepower hungry. They don't have many desert races in France. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> And as you know, uh, like the Hatter Desert Race are hugely popular here and, and um, they're horsepower-friendly races and that's what people want to buy. And the cool thing is Australia has the second biggest market for Sherco motorcycles in the world outside of France. Yeah. So they said, okay, you want, you want a bigger bike? Yeah, we do. Cool, we'll build one. And now we've got one. It's, it's, it's so cool to be part of that. Yeah, that's awesome. They actually listen to you. Yeah, they do. It, and, um, you know, there'll be, there'll be more of that to come. Um, but, yeah, to answer your question, there's, there's no motocross range, but there is a cross-country range. Um, yep. So, you know, without the, the, the head and tail light and, and what have you. So um, for, for specific events like closed course events like Hatta, they're, they're ideal. And, yeah, you can race them in motocross. One of our, our race team guys, Justin Carafa, he just got back from Switzerland and rode the final round of their International Motocross Championship as a fill-in rider for a team over there. And, yep. um, yeah, they run those models in motocross over there quite successfully. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's cool. So... One of the other things I did want to ask you, mate, you've obviously worked with a lot of the top riders in the in the off-road scene over the years, or, or I had a bit to do with them at least, if, yeah, if, not, sure. if not worked yeah. with them. Yeah, well, I, I guess when I say the term worked with them, it can be anything from <laughs> um, test riding their bike for a story to, to interviewing them. And, you know, you see them at the events all the time, so you get to know most of them pretty well. And... um. Yeah, you strike up friends with others while others are all business. But, yeah, yeah, some of them I've got to know quite well. What do you reckon? Do you reckon you could pinpoint as one particular thing that the, like, the best of the best have in common that they do better than the rest of the guys that are just making up the numbers? Yeah. Hard work. Work, I think. Yep, absolutely. And, and pro there's probably two things. Hard work and having an open enough mind to take new ideas on board. I've, I've seen it a number of times. And, and the, it's one thing that fascinates me. There's a lot of really good riders out there, but it, it blows my mind how many of them couldn't even test an electric fence. 
they're, they're terrible at it. Yeah. And, and it's because they think they know everything. They're yep. not open-minded enough to even understand the concept of testing, I believe. And so a, a really good writer, eventually, that they end up becoming an awesome test writer because you've got to go through that um, through that process of working with your mechanic or your team or even on your own to to think outside the square, try something and be honest about it with yourself and then go back to where you were and and work with the parameters of the bike, what the bike can offer you. Yeah. So, yeah, a, a good rider will will test and try things and, and be open to new suggestions as well. But, yeah, hard work. You can't replace hard work. All the one percenters, um, there, there's a couple of guys that stick out in my mind that, that I got to know and and have become really good mates with the, just the ultimate one percenters and I, I, I learned a lot from them. Um, I, one sticks out in my mind a lot. Jai Willis, a, a guy that was quite successful at state level and, and oh, pretty good at national level too. I shouldn't rob him of that. Yeah. Um, he, he was a good friend of mine and, you know, he went through that transition of being a young guy and, and um, you know, perhaps partying a bit as a young guy and then racing and whatever and then, he came to a turning point where he decided if I want to do it, I'll do it properly. And he was the ultimate of one percenters. Everything was perfect. He was strict on his diet. He was punctual with his time. Um, he had everything right. And I remember I, I rode a state enduro down in Bansdale and I flamed out and I just, I just couldn't finish the day. And I parked up under a tree and he caught up to me on trail time and he just, he looked down at me, he didn't even get off his bike and he said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I'm cooked. And he goes, what did you have for dinner last night? And I still remember <laughs> it and I'm too embarrassed to tell you what it was. And he said, you're a fucking idiot. And he rode <laughs> off and left me there. <laughs> it, was a, it, stick, it stuck with me, mate. It really did. Uh. Um, he was brutally honest, and but he was dead right. So, yeah, yeah. one percenters. And the other one is Ben Grabham. That guy yeah. is the ultimate one percenter. Uh, even when he was racing on big teams and he had a mechanic at his beck and call, he would still check over everything himself. He would double check and he would go to bed knowing everything was perfect for the next day. Yeah. Um, no stone was left unturned. I went to his house one day. He invited me around there. We were doing a story and some magazine work and. I'd shown up on time and he said, I'm sorry, mate, you're going to have to give me another hour. I've got to finish this set of training because that was what he'd set himself to do. And he did it. Yeah. And, you know, he, um, his record speaks for itself. Yeah, absolutely. Not many beat him. No, no. And he's, he's still dabbles in racing now and again. And yeah, yeah he's in the older boys class now, but um, there's not many people that, would even see which way you went. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon you're right. I was talking to a couple of mates about it the other day and I think <clears throat> like natural ability only makes up for so much. If you can have all the natural ability in the world. If you haven't got work ethic, then you're going nowhere. Yeah, too right. I, I, I watch it with interest. It's something that, 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 I, that really does interest me and I study a lot of riders um, partly because of my job and, you know, I'm looking for, for talent for our race team, but partly because it, it's just of interest. And, um, yeah, there's a saying, and, and, and it's a saying that the, the, 
goes around in boxing circles as well. That's a bit of a hobby of mine. And um, I'm just trying to remember it now, but uh, I'll have to, I'll have to roll it around in my head and come back to you. But the basis of it is that that hard work is, is the, the key to success because hard work beats talent when talent won't work. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Hard, hard work. And that's on and off the bike. It's, it's every detail you can't cut corners and that's the same in anything in business, in your own health and um, well-being in life. You, you can't cut corners because you do get caught out. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head there, man, for sure. Yeah. And, and those guys, those successful riders that I've seen that that's, that's the one thing um, even to the point of being obsessive with some of them and yeah, at that elite level, yeah, it can become a balancing act. And I, I, one rider I know who just became incredibly obsessive and he was very successful but only for a short period of time because he couldn't keep up that level of intensity of, of obsessiveness. Yeah. Well, it, it is, when, you, when you're bringing that intensity to every single thing that you do, then it is, it's a full-on job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My word it is, but... Um, in, in the end, it fried his brain. Yeah, yeah. So we were talking a little bit about that off air just before about when, like about training for yeah. motor, when you realised that it was such an important thing, the off-bike training and nutrition and all of that. Yeah, for sure. Well, like I said, being a, a green country kid that, that had only been involved as far as sporting environment goes was Aussie rules football. Um, and, you know, part of that was, like, you'd have a pie night at the footy club. So yeah. <laughs> we, we had training and we learnt ball skills and all the rest of it, and it was a lot of fun. It was really cool as a kid. But to go racing motocross off the back of that was, like, two different worlds, another stratosphere. They're not related in one mm. thing whatsoever. So I, I, I'm not the greatest rider in the world. I'm very average, but... It's something that I love. So I thought, okay, how do I get better at this? And there was a, a riding school held down at Corner Inlet down near Wilson's Promontory and David McSwain, a former uh, motocross racer from the 90s, um, he, he held the school and he started talking about nutrition and I sort of glazed over. I'm like, whatever, mate. <laughs> how is what I eat going to change anything about the way I ride? But he, he rammed the point home and I thought, wow, if I can change, if I can get better just by changing what I eat, I'm going to do that. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I didn't really grasp the concept, but um, it, it, that's what kickstarted everything. Like um, even hydration and, and learning a little bit about nutrition. And, and I think nutrition's a, a lifelong thing. You never stop learning about it. So that's what kickstarted it for me. And it's incredibly important. And luckily, um, I, I'd learned about it and I knew about it, but I didn't practice it so much until um, my wife and I, when we moved in before we got married and she had taken up distance running and she got right into nutrition and, and I've learned a lot from her. And it's something that we try to live by. Um, it's for me, the, the wheels have fallen off a little bit since our son arrived 18 months ago. But it's something I need to get back on to because it's incredibly important. And when I talk about training, I, I still like training. I'm not training for an event or 
uh, to, to be a better rider. I'm, I'm training for a better life. So I think just general health and well-being is something everyone needs to consider. But for me, that started through racing dirt bikes. So I owe a lot in my life to, to dirt bikes, motocross and enduro. Um, it's opened my eyes to a lot of things. It's more than just a rat bag racing around on a noisy dirt bike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's awesome that you got to go to that school. I probably, I think that's probably where I went wrong, I think. Well, not went wrong, but I just didn't have any exposure to any of that stuff. Yeah. As a, as a junior, um, yeah. riding coaches and like nutrition just wasn't a thing for me. Like we were just figuring it out as we went, me and the old man basically. So, yeah. and then, and then I probably, I fell into the, into the, I suppose the mindset that I was active and um, burning it off. So it didn't matter so much what I ate, right. which of course I know now is not the case. Yeah, yeah. Fit and not healthy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. but yeah, you're totally right. And and that's I guess that's probably a big part of what I'm trying to do now is is help riders who are coming through to have some exposure to that sort of stuff as well because it can make a huge difference. Well, mate, that's an incredible thing to do to a younger person because I remember learning lessons the hard way. Like you, I didn't have much guidance in that kind of thing. And the the ones that really kicked my ass were the Victorian cross country races that we used to have those three hour cross countries yeah and even the other races i've done those things are brutal <laughs> they are brutal and i used to get off the bike and i wasn't sure if i wanted to vomit poo my pants curl up and die or or what to do and it was because i wasn't fueling my body correctly yeah absolutely um, it's, yeah it's, i remember hitting a two hour mark every time without fail and just yeah. and i just thought it was because i hadn't ridden enough I've got yeah. to ride more. I've got to ride more. I've got to ride more. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I just wasn't eating enough. Yeah. Eating good good stuff too. Like, well, we just had no, like I say, I had no idea. Yeah, and I still make those mistakes. I I ran my first half marathon a few years ago to, in I guess, in sympathy for my wife. No, that's not true. Um, she, <laughs> she was, she'd been doing these distance events and I was just doing the 10K runs with her. Yeah. Uh, just to go to the event and do something. And I remember one year I'd finished mine and I'm at the MCG in a pair of shorts and a singlet and it was raining. I was freezing cold. I was hiding in the toilet under the hand dryer to try and keep warm. And I thought, <laughs> right, next year I'll just run the half marathon because I don't want to stand around. <laughs> cold. And I remember I, I hit the 17 kilometre mark and my skin went tingly. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'm in trouble here. And I kept running. And then by 18 came up, I was cooked, done. Yeah. And I was so filthy at myself for hitting the wall. But I, I, from that experience, I thought, right, I've got to better prepare. And I hate distance running, but I was that pissed off with myself that I entered it again the following year. <laughs> and because I wanted to get it right. And, um, that you know, it's, it's a learning process. And, and I think back to those days racing those three-hour cross countries, it was a similar feeling, but it was... Well, yeah, it was a little bit different, but same yeah. learning process. Absolutely. And I think I think it takes a certain type of person. And I think guys that race three hour cross countries are that type of person that it's almost a masochist masochistic thing. Like it's <laughs> it's like you know what I mean? Like you know it's gonna freaking hurt. 
you, yeah. it's almost to that point that you hate it, but you just keep going back. Like it, you keep pushing yourself. Yeah, it's an incredible mental game. It's a mental it is. battle. Because like you say, you know somewhere after that two-hour mark, you're going to slam into this wall and it's when you say, right, I've got blisters on my hands, my legs are cramping, my he- I've got a headache, what do I do? And you keep going. Yeah. Yeah. But I, 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 can, I can actually remember... One year I was like, okay, I'd had a bit of a break from it and I was going back and I'd just prepared myself so well with with hydration and, and, and the food I was putting in. I felt really confident about it and I didn't break any records in the, you know, the lowly classes I was racing in, but I got through the event and felt pretty good and strong and I was so pleased with myself. Yeah. Because when you think about it, eating and drinking the right thing is pretty easy to do. Mm, absolutely got to, you have to eat and drink something right yeah that's right so just pick the good things yeah <laughs> yeah you're right um so i think that just knowing you i think that makes a big difference to the mind like you say it's a mental game but i think that last hour when those challenges arise i think that preparation and having that work i think knowing you've done the work knowing you've ticked the boxes in the lead up yep it just makes it minimizes that level of self-doubt when you get to that that cha- those challenging moments. Yeah. So you're thinking more about charging it than going, or am yeah, I going to exactly. survive? Yeah. I, re- I read a really, I um, can't even remember the bloody name of it now, but um, a book on, on like the mindset of an endurance athlete. Right. And that's what this guy reckons is the determining factor when you have a preconceived um, perception of how hard it's going to be. Yeah. And then you get to halfway and it's harder than you think it's going to be. Subconsciously, your mind already starts to downregulate what the output, because it's trying to say, it's trying to just get to the end. It's trying to finish. Okay. So when when you prepare, basically like what it came down to was just training your fucking ass off basically and yep. <laughs> like conditioning yourself to, to endure that pain because as soon as that little, as soon as that flicker of self-doubt is there, yep. you, you're done. Yeah, your mind's off. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's a tough thing like to be able to condition yourself to that. But yeah, I totally think that, it's all in the preparation. Like I know in the results when I've got my best results, it's been when I've had the best level of preparation, but also just been in a really good place, like stress wise, low level of stress, being really happy. And do you know what I mean? Like it just flowed. But it wasn't back to those one percenters we were talking about, I think. Absolutely. Knowing that you're prepared for battle, what else, what else is there? You just think about going for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really cool thing. It's um it does it's the thing that fascinates me the most about it, I think. Yeah, and and you know, like I say, you never stop learning and yeah. Knowing it and putting it into practice can be two different things because I when I go back to the running thing because it's something I don't do well and I don't really get a buzz out of it. But when I went back for that second half marathon, I remember I, I, 
I was so determined that, to not hit the wall. And my time was better, but I remember getting to 19 kilometres and thinking, I'm not going to hit the wall. Oh, no, I've underdone it. And yeah, I only, yeah and, and, and I only had a couple of Ks to go and I thought I can't make up heaps of time in a couple of Ks and I, I, I misjudged it again. So I'd only yeah. had two experiences, but I was trying to, I was learning from them and I was happy enough with that and I've sworn I'll never do another one. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't think I will, but I'll, I've learned some good lessons out of it all the same. Absolutely, yeah. And there, I think they're lessons that you can carry over into every, every part of life. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yep, definitely. So becoming a dad, man, tell me about that. Yeah, Someone wow. really wanted to wanted to ask you about. I know we were chatting about it a bit before, but it's a bit, it's it's changed my life becoming a dad without a doubt. So, for how sure. how has it how have things changed for you since becoming a dad? In ways I couldn't imagine. Um, fatherhood uh, it's come to me later in life. I'm 44 now, and our son was born 18 months ago. I'm a bit of a late starter. I say that with everything. I'm either a late starter or a slow learner. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I guess we were sort of focused on just doing our own thing, and then we decided to start a family, and, you know, we were really lucky. Um, it happened quite quickly, and and um, my wife and I, we, we, we talked a lot about, you know, the birth and what we'd hoped it would be and everything. And we went to the, to the, the, the pre-birthing classes and we decided we wanted to train for the birth, physically train for it. So because we've always been active and, and enjoyed training and going to the gym, we made sure we kept that up all, the whole way through the pregnancy, like even to the week before uh, William was born. So we're like, yeah, cool. We're smashing this. We're going great. It was a great birth and, William was healthy and everything's cool and um, I'm going to be a dad. But, um, man, things have changed. And when I talk, <laughs> even just now, I, I sound like a hypocrite because I'm talking about health and well-being and training. Since William was born, I've had zero consistency in physical activity because everything is about him. Yeah. So I, I haven't had yeah, any consistency with anything in my life other than going to work and being a dad. And so I've probably neglected myself because being a dad is hard. Um, we, we only have one child and, and it's full on. I can't even fathom how people have two or three kids or even more. <laughs> it's amazing. Like it, it's, it's really, really cool in the simplest things. Like he walked for the first time on the weekend and, um, you know, yeah, that's, that's awesome. such an exciting thing to do. But, yeah, being a, being a dad is, is tough. It's, it's all about, all about your, your child. But what I'm learning is that you still got to make time for yourself or else, um, you know, things will be out of whack. I, I went for a ride on Saturday and, and found a new track with a mate of mine and I came home feeling so good. It was like a reset button. Yeah. Um, because I've realised I need to spend a bit more time on myself, or I'm not going to be a good dad. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a balancing act, man. Yeah, sure. yeah. It it really is. And you know the funniest thing that the thing is the 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 helplessness and the anxiety you feel because there's only so much you can do. 
like you can't control the health of your baby or the behaviour of your baby while they're a baby. You're a passenger. You're along for the ride. And even the pregnancy, your wife's, your wife's or your partner, they have to carry this baby and you, your hand's off. You can't help. And, it, and it's in a bloke's nature to be a helper, a fixer, to do things and make it right. Yeah, so, Absolutely. To a large degree, you've got to stand back and watch. And, and yeah, you can't. Gee, that's difficult to do. Yeah. <laughs> it um, is, yeah. Yeah, that's probably one of the hardest things I've had to come to terms with. Yeah, I would agree. That's a, It's a hard thing, especially when they're sick or something like that. It's just hard to... Yeah. You do, you do, feel, you do feel helpless in a lot of ways. Yeah, you do. Because you, you want to do your best. You want to fix it, but... Um, yeah, you can't, like you say, when, when your baby's sick and we've been through our fair share of that, there's not a lot you can do. And if you could if you could take it away and take it on board yourself, you'd do that, but you can't. So you largely you feel quite helpless and that's a, um, that's a tough thing for a fella to get your head around. Yeah. Yeah, like I was saying before, it's a big, it's a big identi- identity shift becoming a dad. A lot, yeah. a lot yeah. changes. Yep, hell yeah, it does. And and even your wants and needs in, in everyday life change, um, I've found. But, you know, here we are. He's, he's, our son's 18 months old already and I, it doesn't feel like he's been around that long. But life goes quick. And it does, man. I know it, hopefully we're out uh, racing dirt bikes together one day. Yeah, it won't be long. Well, that's what I was going to say. Once, once they can walk, I think... Especially the first six months of being a dad, I reckon, is the hardest. Like you, you do feel like you don't get that much back there attached to the to mum a lot. Yeah. And one, but the older they get, that just gets easier, better and better. Like they, they can do more stuff with you. They're out and about. Like once they get moving, you can take them, take them out and go for walks and all that stuff. And they start on their bikes. Like all those yeah. cool little milestones, it just gets, it gets better and better. Yeah, it makes me smile just thinking about it, mate. Like he can say bike already. He's got a little yeah. trike and um, we push him around on that. And, and I've actually um, I tracked down a, a Honda QR50 and it's it's old school kids mini bike, as you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's premature, but it came up and I've got it and I've put it in the garage and he's seen it. He doesn't know what it is, but I've hidden it now. Yeah. Because I don't want to force dirt bikes on him. But if he wants to ride one, it'll be there. And yeah, um, I'm also really conscious of not providing him with brand new, the latest and greatest things. Yeah. Because I don't want him to think that they just, you know, happen to be there. Yeah. Um, so I've got this QR50 ready and waiting if the day comes. And if not, I'll just keep it just because it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Collector's item. Yeah, well, it's one of those things. I always wanted one as a kid. Yeah. For whatever reason, never got one, nor never had one, and now I've got one. So, yeah, it's a keeper. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it won't be long. You'll be out there shredding the trails together, man. Yeah, I really hope so. Um, it's funny. We we have little workouts in the garage, my wife and I, and we, we have our son there because we're big believers in – monkey see monkey do and and obviously we want to encourage uh, him to have a healthy life so i think it's important that he sees that that's what his mum and dad do um yeah we're, we're, we're pretty inclusive kind of little family that we are 
and and yeah, hopefully if he if he sees me riding dirt bikes, he'll he'll share that passion as well. Yeah, I think I I didn't even have a bike. I got rid of my bike when when Darcy was first born. So right, but I guess I got the trophies. He's seen my trophies because he yep. was just mad about it, even when I didn't have a bike. Wow. Oh, yeah. Um. And then I've I've only had a bike again for the last twelve months, and he's he's been crazy for it. But even before that, it was something that he just still loved. Yeah, right. Even though I didn't have one. So yep. I don't know. Like you said, when you were a kid, you just want to, I think, so. I don't know, it must just be. Yeah, I, I can understand in, that. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. And, and what are your thoughts on, because uh, people ask me, what are your thoughts on if you, if you, you know, your kids grow up and they say, oh, dad, I want to ride a dirt bike. And then it gets to the point where dad, I want to go and race a dirt bike. How do you, how do you feel about that? Oh man, if he wants to race, this is what I how I feel. I've told everyone this. If he wants to race, I will take him to the races. But if he's happy riding up and down the driveway for the rest of his life, like he is now, yep, I'm happy for him to do that. Like I just want him to have fun. So yeah, my like I I'm really grateful for everything my old man did for me. But he was hard on me when I was a kid racing. Right. Like it was, it wasn't always fun. I would yep. say, like if I didn't perform, I got the whip cracked sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. that was that's that's probably it's made me who I am, of course. So, um, I but I just want him to have fun, man. So, if he doesn't want to race, I'm not going to push him to race. Yeah, yeah. So he just he does about a million laps up and down our driveway here every afternoon. So he's he's happy doing that at the moment. Oh, I'd be happy to do that at the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's on a full factory ride. He doesn't even know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Are you gonna? Oh, like you, mate. Um, yeah. I think any parent just wants their kid to be happy and I'd support him with whatever he wanted to do whether that was boxing or playing cricket and um cricket I think is incredibly mind numbing and and <laughs> it's nothing that I've ever really been into and I probably I'm uh, not probably of course I would I'd support him in that and and help him achieve whatever he wanted to do achieve so I guess we'll wait and see how the little monster grows up and you ne- never know what he's going to be into but um, yeah, you you, you got to support them. You got to you got to support, and even your, your your partner. Like, um, when Laura got into distance running, I wasn't particularly fond of that either. But I supported her through that, and I'm glad I did because I got a bit out of it too. Yeah, absolutely. But um, I don't know. It's hard watching your kids too. Now that he's taken his first few steps, he probably, oh, mate, he had some big, big busters on the weekend. He put two teeth through his <laughs> bottom lip and yeah, the last thing you want to see is your kid hurt and upset. So it's a hard thing, isn't it? It is, yeah. I don't really, a few of my mates have asked me that too. They are worried about him getting hurt. I don't know. I don't seem to have that fear yep. okay. um, of them being hurt. I, they're pretty bendy. They seem to bounce, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. My wife—that's the my wife's worst fear—is them being hurt. She's really, really worried about that. But I like—I know people have broken the neck playing football. Like, yeah, whatever you do, 
you, there's that, there's an element of danger if you get hit by a bus walking down the street. So for sure, you know what? I, I think that mentality comes from having been through it as well. Like you would have had your fair share of crashes to to achieve what you achieved in a sport. You you go through the downs as well, and we've all had crashes. And it's something as a dirt bike rider, not just a racer, but as a rider in general, you expect to get hurt. Yep. It's part of the deal. You don't want it to happen and you avoid it at all costs, but you know it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. It's There's nothing sure. I mean, it's it's going to happen. And it's like life. We're all going to die. None of us are getting out of this alive. Yeah. <laughs> you hop on a dirt bike, you're going to crash. Um, yeah, I guess. That's, that's what I tell some of the guys like, just like before talking about that, that mindset of pushing through the pain at the end of a three hour. Yep. Like just by getting on a bike and riding, you're already really good at not focusing on what can go wrong or focusing on the bad shit. That's because a really there's point. I've pl- never thought about it like that. Plenty of people out there that would not even get on a motorbike. Yeah. Because they're shit scared they'll get hurt. Whereas we just do it like it's nothing because we've been doing it all our life. We don't even think about it. Yeah. Even though we've been hurt many times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's like that thing, you, you what you focus on is what you get. So Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But I, I think riding a dirt bikes it's really unique. Well it is to me. I've tried to chase the buzz doing all sorts of things from snow skiing to water skiing to you know, most stick and ball sports, surfing, you name it. I've even jumped out of an aeroplane and bungee jump, but there is no buzz for me like there is riding a dirt bike. Yeah. So it's worth, you know, I wouldn't say rolling the dice, that's the wrong term to use, but I accept that, yeah, I'm going to crash and, yeah, I will have injuries from time to time and and, and I've and I've had some crackers, but the, that, that feeling... Is unbelievable and irreplaceable. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And that's the thing, you don't have to risk your life per se to get that feeling like yeah. every, every level of rider gets that feeling like no matter how, how fast you ride or how, how good you are, you're, you get that feeling like when you're in your, in your flow state and you feel like you're on rails and it's just happening. It doesn't matter how fast you're going. If it's just you're at your level and you're feeling that, then... That's right. You know what? And that's something I never understood. And and, and I think about this from time to time. I, I got to interview Shane Watts in his prime. Yeah. And I was naive enough to say, when was the moment? When did you realise that you were awesome and you were going fast? And and how did that happen? And he, go, and he looked at me and he <laughs> said, he goes, we're both trying as hard as each other. He goes, you're trying just as hard as me. He goes, I just happen to be going a lot quicker. He said, we're both doing the same thing. Just the speed that I'm doing it is different. And I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And I thought, I'm not, how could I be trying as hard as him? But (laughs) of course I am. I'm just not as good as he is. Yeah. 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 And, and if I wasn't getting the same buzz, I wouldn't be doing it. So you're dead right. Yeah, exactly. It's a funny thing. And I, I often hear surfers talk about it. I think, what they get is similar to what we get. And I surf and I enjoy it, but it hasn't got me. Yeah. Living on the coast, I'm surrounded by surfers that and that's their thing. 
Yeah. You, you, you see it in the car parks around here. When surf's on, the car parks are full and there's no tradies on site. Yes. <laughs> because that's their thing. They live for it. And while I don't get, get it at the level they get it in surfing, that's me with dirt bikes. Yeah. Yeah, you just... I don't know. It's just being in your flow state, I think, getting in that where nothing else. You're just fully present. Yeah, totally. None of that other shit matters. You're just totally. fully focused on the track ahead. Yeah, and you get these little moments in life where it, you just got it. And it, I like that term, flow state, where it was just perfection. You, you, strang, you were able to string a section of track together and without consciously did, making yourself do it and it just worked and and that's magic it is yeah and that like that's like you say that that's why we ride yeah and then there's those other days where you you chase it and you chase it and you chase it Mm. and you work your ass off (laughs) and and you don't get that same feeling but you might get a better result but you, you still don't get that that elation of it being effortless and 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 awesome and perfection but you get the rewards in other ways because you might have got the trophy or whatever it is but um uh, the the challenge of doing it well is the biggest thing it, it, you get those glimpses of perfection and glimpses of 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 glory but man there's some hard work absolutely yeah that's what i tell all my guys too now like and I guess looking back, I never, I was kind of doing it when I was racing, but I didn't really know it. But right. just if you, at the end of the day, if you can look yourself in the eye and you know you've, if you've given it 100% effort and you've ridden to the best of your capabilities and you've got in that flow state, yep. then the result doesn't matter. Like if you come first or you come fifth or you come fucking 10th. Yep, too right. Who, who cares? Too like right. that, the, the trophy, maybe if you get one, that's a bit of a sweetener. But at the end of the day, if, you, if you've ridden how you know how to ride and you've enjoyed it and you've had fun and you've got a smile on your face, then you've won. Like, yeah. Mate, you were a rider I used to watch with interest because you always seem to prefer, or well, I don't know if that's true or not, but you seem to excel at the tougher events, the more grueling physically grueling events and I often wondered why (laughs) (laughs) well it's a question I've asked myself a bit lately actually um and I don't and I think it it probably comes down to that work ethic maybe like I I was Darcy asked me the other day what was my first job like I started a paper round when I was 12 yeah I got up at quarter to five every morning since I was 12, yep. went out, rode my bike in the rain, delivered the papers. Like I had, it had to be done. I had to get it done. It was, there was no option. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's, I've just always, and I guess I'm a slow burner. I, I was never good at sprints. I couldn't, I'm not good at turning it on right. against the clock. I'm good at a motocross track. I love chasing down riders. Like I love hunting people down. Yep. That's what, that's what I love about riding that cat and mouse. Like, yeah. Like, that race craft of picking a line or getting around someone like that's what I love. And I I get that in cross countries and especially when you get to the end and you're like hunting down a rider, like that next person on the track. Yeah. I just, I guess I just use that as motivation to just keep 
keep and I've just had that ability I suppose to not like you say block out that the pain and yep. just get it done well it, it is a, it's a different mindset with a different discipline isn't it I, I've always found it harder racing the clock I'd prefer to race another person yeah in the same way that you've just described I guess um, I don't know it's a, it, it's a different mindset but I yeah it yeah, like you said, it's the cat and mouse thing, trying to outsmart the other guy or break him mentally. Or, um, yeah, it's, it's totally different than just racing the clock. And uh, like enduro, traditional style time card enduro, I always sucked at it um, for that reason, I think, that I wasn't physically racing the other guy and I found it hard that I'd have to switch on and off at special tests. Yeah. Yeah. Different mindset. Absolutely. I think the other big thing for me is just the fun factor. Like I've, I've wrote a little, an, an email about this to the, to the guys who are on my email list the other day, but one of the, tro- I'm looking at it right now. One of the trophies I've got on my wall up here, it's the 04 um, off-road series at Horsham. Yeah. It was it was in Expert 200. It was the first. I'd had a couple of seconds and thirds leading up to that. It was my first first place, and I got fifth outright against the pros. Yeah, right. In the cross country, and that was starting like two minutes behind because they started a minute, yeah, and this yeah. was before before I transponders. Would, I would have been there. You probably were, yeah. Yeah. I was on a Kato 200. Yeah, um, right. But everything that could have gone wrong that day went wrong, like. I hit a tree on the first, second or third corner and blew, um, broke the, snapped the banjo bolt off my master cylinder so I had no front brake. Wow. Um, washed an air filter in bare hands in petrol before the race because we didn't have a spare one. So <laughs> my, my hands were shredded by the end of it. Um, lots of things. Didn't have any, no electrolytes, no gels, no nutrition during the race. But yeah. I got into my flow state. I didn't let any of that shit get to me yep. because I had a smile on my face the whole way. I loved that track like that. I don't know if you rode that track there, yeah, but it was I did a couple of times. It was incredible. To me, that was, that's an awesome track. Like, yeah, I love riding shit like that where it just flows and it's sweepy and you can open up the corners. And so, and, and same at Hatter, like I've had great results at Hatter because I love riding that track. Like, yep. So I think, that's probably a big thing for me is the fun factor because then I'm just focusing on have, having fun. I'm not thinking about, oh, I'm tired or oh, I'm worn out or whatever. I'm just loving it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's a, that's a, an interesting thing. I, I, like I said, I like to study riders and I see some turn up and they openly admit that they don't like the track they're about to race and I just think, well, you're done. Exactly, yeah. Might as well go home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so you you got to keep it fun. You got to yep. find the fun in in, in whatever it is. You you've got to find the fun in it. That and that's right, and it's that's a that's a tough balancing act too. Like you've got to have that element of seriousness and that element of switching on and focusing. But when that becomes too much, that it it paralyzes you. Well, that's not a good thing either. You got to find that happy medium where. And, and again, that everyone's different, of course. Like some people perform better when they've got their full race face on. Some perform better when yeah. they have fun. It's, it's a, again, it's that learning 
learning curve, I suppose. It is. And um, you learn that about yourself. But um, now that I'm in a team environment as well, it's it's been something that I'm still trying to get up my head around or, or to learn better is what makes riders tick because everyone is different, like you just said. And yeah. some, some guys I can't figure out ever. Um, some guys you can work out what buttons to push, but some yeah. some you can't because they don't know themselves. Yeah. And um, which I think sets them way behind. Mm. Yeah. It's an interesting yeah, topic. it is very interesting. Sorry, man. I have got to go shortly. Sure. I've got a few last little questions, quick rapid fire ones. Yep. I thought we'd finish off with two stroke or four? Two stroke. I knew that you'd answer it that way. <laughs> God love you. I'm old. <laughs> um, what's the best bike you've ever ridden? I know you've ridden a few in your time. It is, it, is it in your shed right now? No, it's not. It's, in, <laughs> um, it's Rick Hall's 2002 Fink Desert Race winning CR500. Yeah, um, nice. That would have put hairs on the chest. It did. I was lucky enough to race it in 2009 in the Think Desert race. Um, nice. It was a bit of a deal that Rick and I had come up with. He, he, he said if I rode his bike, he had to write the story. But the reason <laughs> that bike was so good was because it was set up so well for that specific race. Yeah. Most yep. other bikes that I've ridden, yeah, they're set up for, for racing, but they could be applied to all different tracks. That bike was specific, is specific. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, who's your favourite rider of all time to watch? Jean-Michel Bale. Yeah? Nice. Yeah. yeah, just made it look like he wasn't even trying. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got to watch him. Was that when you were overseas? No, it was at the, the Motocross the Nations in Manjimup in 92. Oh, nice. Yeah, he was on a CR500 and, and yeah. I watched him in practice and he was so underwhelming. I'm like, something wrong he's and Looks but then slow. i realized he was just motoring past all these other riders and I thought, wow yeah. he's that smooth it looks slow yeah <laughs> so, and and to do what he did back then to go from world motocross championship to the states and win supercross was that was unheard of so that, yeah he, yeah he's my favorite yeah that's awesome man um what advice would you give an 18 year old toughy now for our last question apply yourself um, of all, <laughs> apply yourself to whatever it is. It doesn't have to be dirt bikes or whatever. Just apply yourself. Try a little bit harder because I've, I've done it my whole life. I'd, I'd focus on something, try it out, l learn how to do it, do it okay, and then I'd sort of drift off and then try something else. So, yeah, a little bit more application. <laughs> yeah. I reckon you've done pretty good, man. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Well, it's... I think the best is yet to come because I, I see myself as a bit of a floater. I, I, I think, yeah, the best is still ahead of me. I've got some projects on the go and I'm, I'm writing a couple of books and who would have thought that I'd ever do that? Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Life's, life's a journey, hey? Yeah, it sure is. And I'm, I'm not going to be one of those people that, that sits around and is content with my lot, there's there's a lot out there to see and do, and I oh, yeah, I, I want chunks of it, mate. I'm 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 hungrier than ever. That's awesome, man. Glad to hear it. Yeah, bit like yourself, I imagine. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, like you say, that's the big thing I've 
probably some of the things you've said have rang true with me too, but that's a big thing is there's always something more to learn. I guess I probably didn't have that mindset when I was younger and racing enough. Yep. Now I've really adopted that. But, yeah, there's always something to learn, always something to to get your teeth into. And Yeah. And, well, that's something I've picked up from other people. But Ben Grabham's a, a classic for it. Like, he, he yeah. he's an incredible... He, he, not only is he an incredible competitor, he's an amazing tester. Yeah. He can pick up things, the, the minute things. He, he's really, really good at it. But he got that way from being open-minded and learning. Mm. So, yeah. You can always learn. There's always learning. Always learning. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. I thank you very, very much for your time. It's been a no, pleasure. Thanks, mate. It's been an interesting chat. It's gone gone place gone probably gone in a different direction than what i thought it may have gone but i've really enjoyed it thank you no i appreciate it man um where can everyone check out the sherco motorcycle uh, range have you got a have they got a good website or yeah absolutely sherco.com.au um there's also a, a fairly active facebook page um but yeah that the website is the main place or you just get into your local dealer and ask them for a ride uh someone said that to me on the weekend um, the biggest thing he ever did was was actually took one for a test ride. He goes, man, these things are good, and now he owns one. So yeah, <laughs> <it's a> common theme. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, well, thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, mate. I, I, it was it was a great chat. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Tuffy. See you, mate. Thanks for listening to the Ben Greenwood High Performance Podcast. For more information on this podcast episode, please check out the show notes and to check out more of my content, shoot over to my website, www.100percentstrength. That's www.100percentstrength.com. 100% strength to us means giving 100% effort to any challenge we face whether that's in life, whether that's in the gym, or whether that's out on the track. So you can check out some of our free content online. We've got a blog there. We've also got an email list you can subscribe to to stay up to date with events, tips and tricks on a weekly basis. And I'd really appreciate if you'd give us a follow on Facebook or Insta too. Until the next episode, give it 100%. Peace out.